Okay, so our speaker this morning is Lacey Sanford. Lacey is a former Mops mom. She's been married to her best friend for almost 17 years. She's a mom of three boys, a nine-year-old, a tween, and a teen. She is a sinner saved by grace, child of God, and sister in Christ to many precious friends that she met at Mops over a decade ago. Um, one of her favorite verses is Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hill where... where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and earth. So let's welcome Lacey as she leads us in discussion on the positive effects of nostalgia. Thank you so much. I first have to just get this out there that I'm really nervous. Danny asked me to talk, and I told her, I said, you know I'm a crier, right? <laughs> so if you see me up here crying, it's not, I'm not having a bad day, and there's nothing wrong. I just, that's how the Holy Spirit works in me. When I get nervous, I just have some tears flowing. So I'll be all right. Um, thank you for the introduction. I am a mom of three boys, um, hence the wrinkles and the humbleness that I will be sharing with you guys today. Um, this is my family. Michael is my husband. We will celebrate 17 years next month in October. And we've got a teenager who is 14. His name is Evan. And then we've got Lane is my tween. He's 10. Actually, I think he just turned 11. Let me think about that. He just turned 11. <laughs> and I have a nine-year-old. I don't ever age them. I age myself, but not them. So um, I have to start off by telling you guys, this family portrait looks like, I'm not, Danny's going to relate to this because she's a photographer, but this looks like sweet American family. Got a lot going on for us, you know. We booked this photography shoot about an hour away from our home. And so, let me just set the stage for you. We were all in our button-up shirts and tight clothes and fancy attire, driving about an hour to get to family portraits. Um, I've got three boys, so, so that should be really enough said about that. But they did not want to be in their fancy button-up shirts and their sweaters doing this at all. And so, we're about 20 minutes away from the photo shoot in Cobden, Illinois. And they had been tit for tat in each other the entire drive. It was horrible. And so I'm up there like just gritting my teeth and I could feel the pressure building up inside of me. And about 20 minutes from the, the place that we were gonna have our family pictures, one of the children elbows the other one right in the nose and blood just starts flowing out of their nose. <laughs> It, you know, it just happens. It happens. They're sinners. And so I am freaking out, not because of what happened in the backseat of the car, but like the sweater that I picked out and coordinated is going to be covered in blood. And what am I going to do? Like, he's got like a white t-shirt underneath it. So I kid you not, my husband, he, he, he was saying literally like, why can't we just have somebody take a picture with our iPhone? Why do we have to go an hour away? You know, he, that's his idea of what a family portrait looks like. And I had been, like, coordinating clothes and, like, planning this out in my mind, how we were all going to look matchy-matchy. So he, he already is also, also tense. He's driving. He pulls over in, at a park in Cobden, Illinois, and the perpetrator, the elbower, flings himself out. I'm not kidding. I cannot make this stuff up. He flings himself out of the door. He's crying. He's saying, I don't want to get back in the car with that family, you know, like that family. 
And so we're like literally, like that's what's happening in Cobden, like small town Cobden, Illinois. My one child is running across the park and I'm sitting there like, one of these days you're gonna want this picture with your mother in it, you know? So I say I share the story and when I got there, the what I thought was kind of comical was the photographer even said, Oh, that's okay, we could edit out blood. I'm like, who else has edited out blood of a family portrait? I'm not the only one, right? Random. So anyway, anyway, I share that story to just let you guys know that I am no more qualified to be up here talking than any one of you guys. I am a sinner, I'm married to a sinner, and we have three little sinners in our home. <laughs> so some of them are a little bit bigger sinners than others. But So again, let me introduce you to my family. The Sanford crew, we're hot messes, but we are covered in his grace and his goodness. So Danny asked me, and I hope I'm getting the topic correct, but basically a rear view look, since I have a teenager now, on what we've done to raise our children in a way that we hope is Christ-like, um, and also as we um, are doing that, we can instill some uh, traditions and, and things that have meant a lot to our family. So kind of a, a broader topic that I'm going to narrow down. Um, I'm going to title it Raising Christ-like Children, the importance of family traditions, but more importantly, what we did right, what we did wrong, and the grace that covers it all. So, first of all, why do we want Christ-like kids? That sounds like a really tall goal to aim for. Um, and it's an intimidating topic because I'm not qualified to, to talk on this, but God calls the, uh, the willing and he qualifies them. So, we want Christ-like kids in scripture and Christ-like parents because the Bible says so. Um, he mentions intimidating Christ in several passages. We, got, we look at Corinthians. Um, this is Paul speaking. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And in Ephesians 5.1, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 1 John 2.6 says, whoever abides Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And lastly, in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, it says, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so if the Bible tells us that we should be imitators of God, and that sounds like a really tall feat to achieve, uh, we also have to look at Romans 3.23, and it says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It sounds like a contradiction a little bit, right? Like, we need to be Christ-like, but can we be Christ-like? Because we all are sinners. So there's that internal struggle, and Paul actually talks about that. He's one of my favorite guys to study in the Bible. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Does anybody relate to that? Like, I want to talk to him when I get to heaven and be like, I understand, Paul. I blow it. I start out the day with the best of intentions. I want to be productive. I've got my to-do list. I just ordered the well-planned day planner, and it's, like, ridiculously thick, and it's got, like, all of these tabs of being organized. And I'm like, realistically, that'll probably get filled out for probably September and October, and by November, I will have that checked out the window. <laughs> but 
we start out with the best intentions, and usually, maybe by noon, somebody is in tears at my home. It's probably usually me. So we're sinners raising sinners, and it's a messy, messy job. So as we strive to be imitators of Christ and deepen our heart, we want to be like Paul, who wants to do what he knows is right. We know that we're going to mess up. And so that is the exhale that you guys can feel as a mom. We will fail in our own strength. We will sin and we will fall short. And so that's why today it's important when you guys say, well, why do we want to rise Christ-like children? We want to recognize that our kids also are sinners and they're going to be covered by that same grace. They're going to have that same exhale if they are in Christ. And so God has given us someone who will stand in our place. He is a perfect and a sinless son. And it's like my best analogy of this is like a courtroom scene. And we're in front of a judge and we've done something that we know that we've messed up on like I've got like four speeding tickets, so like if I was standing in front of a judge, I would know that I was guilty of speeding. I'm aware of my guilt. I'm aware of what I've done wrong. But someone comes into that courtroom for me, and they say, I'm going to stand in this mom's place. I want to take those burdens off her shoulders, all that shortcoming and the impatience that she's had with her kids today, the temper that she's had with them, the pride I mean, how many people deal with pride? I have, I have three different kids. If I looked at each one of them, if I did not have my middle son, I would be prideful. I would be prideful. He keeps me humble. He's a hard, hard child to raise. And if I looked at my firstborn, I would be so full of pride. That's a sin. What about the times that we've gossiped? We've, we, we just don't even maybe are malicious about it, but we're gossiping about it. Hey, have you heard? Did you hear? That's sin, and God takes all of that stuff that we've done and all the things that we've put priority over him, and he takes all of those sins that deserve the punishment of death because we've, given, we've been given a perfect and a holy God with standards that are perfection. They're holy, and we fall short of those standards, but he says, I'm going to take that guilt from you and from her. Give me that sentence of death so I could be free of it. And so that is the good news gospel. I started out heavy on this talk, but I wanted to give you guys the good news. That's why I'm standing up here today. I want to be able to tell you there's good news, there's the gospel message, that we can just exhale as moms and be covered in that grace with our parenting. So if you're a Christian parent today, we want to raise Christ like children because we have Christ in us, and we want our children to feel that same relief of that non-guilty verdict one of these days. We want to be able to lock arms with them and take them into the kingdom with us. What if you're not a Christian right now? I started out mops. I was not a Christian. I was sitting in this table about 10 years ago. I wanted to be a Christian. Here's why I wanted to be a Christian. I was looking around the table, and I was looking at the moms that had went before me. They were a little bit older, maybe had a little bit older kids, and I thought, I want to be, I want to have it all together like them. Or I'd look at them and I'd be like, their kids are really good kids. I want kids like that. And that was my motivation for following Christ. That was the wrong motivation. But I was trying to imitate them instead of, instead of imitating Christ. And so what happens is God works all of this for good. He orchestrates these groups. And so he knew that I needed to be with those ladies because they rub off on you. And when they rub off on you, 
then you get to the root of the good news. You get to the root of the joy that they have. They're not just joyful because they have it all together. They're joyful because they were walking with Christ. And when I talk about also like comparing our kids, when we put so much pressure on our kids to be a certain way, just because we want want them to make us look good, I was doing that, and I still do that a lot of times. Um, there's so much freedom in being able to share within that gospel message that that they're going to fail miserably, even in front of people. They're going to mess up and embarrass us, but they, they've also been given the same grace that we would deserve in one of ourselves. So, um, so whether this talk applies to you as a Christian mom or as a mom that might be like I was 10 years ago sitting at that table not really knowing why I wanted to be a Christian, but kind of feeling that vibe from other people like I want to be like them, I hope that you can get some applicable points out of this. Um, the difference between as a Christian is I know that the true hope that will never fail our kids is the hope that can only be found in Jesus. We hope a lot of things for our kids. We hope that they'll be healthy. Uh, we hope that they'll be well-liked or smart or successful in their life. Um, I think that's a commonality before, between most moms that are you know, good moms. They want what's best for their kids. Um, but just as a Christian mother, we hope um, that they find that the true source is in Jesus because he won't fail them when we will. Um, so in Romans 5, let's see, where am I at? Oh, it says that while we were still yet sinners, God gave up his own son for us. So when we were still sinners, when we're still sitting there in sin, he gave up his own son for us, and that's the gospel, and that's the good news to this mama's heart. And that's my prayer, really, for each one of you as well, that we know Christ and that we love him and that we can raise kids who love him really well. So that was my big, long introduction with the gospel message. <laughs> Looking back in the rearview mirror, here's some applicable points here. There has been things that we've done really well, things that we have done painfully, painfully wrong, and then a good mix of things in between. I cannot boast of any of this in my own strength. All the things that I've done good in parenting has been blessed and covered with his strength, and all the shortcomings have been covered in his grace. So what I have done right that I'm getting ready to list out here um, is, is by God's grace. It's nothing for me to boast in. So I was thinking back of the things that um, I felt like was the most important things in our family as I was raising little ones all the way up to now a teenager. And it, it just I just kept on hearing that we've kept our family close. So families are close to God's heart because they were his idea in the first place. He designed the family unit. When he created man, he said it's not good for him to be alone. And so he made a woman to be his helpmate, suitable for him. And then he blessed them, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So you guys are doing that well right now. The, the nursery is full. You guys are doing what God designed family to be like. God loves the family, and he, and he invites us to be adopted into his family as his children. So one of the things for our family has, that has been really important is mealtime. There has not been too many times um, that we have not had at least one meal together uh, as a family. Uh, it's it's been harder to do lately, um, and I'll talk about different stages of our life, but my son, uh, my teenager, is now involved in swim team, and that's smack dab in the middle of meal, team, <laughs> or meal time from 6.30 till 8 at night. And so I have to be super intentional about getting some sort of a meal, whether it's, you know, just sandwiches and soup or something, 
together so that we could all at least come together before I run out the door with him. Um, there's been times when my husband's worked second or third shift, and so he would leave, and so our mealtime would look like noon instead of breakfast. So I realized that not everybody could have a 5 o'clock dinner every night. Um, and so don't let that burden or that guilt you know, lay on you, but make a time, whether it be Saturday morning pancakes or some sort of a meal that is consistent where you know your family is going to come together. Um, when my husband used to, he used to travel a lot for his job, and on certain nights when he was not home, he was out of town, my kids would notice, they, they would even verbally say, this just doesn't feel right not having dad here. So by knowing that they recognized that void at the table, it made me think, this is something that's important to them. They like the, the, the way it feels when we're all together. Um, so I remember <laughs> the days when mealtime looked not perfect at all. I, I have pictures of like the high chair with the blueberries just smeared all the way around it and the food that's on the floor. I know it doesn't always look peaceful, especially at the stage that you guys are in. Um, and it doesn't even have, it doesn't even look peaceful like that for me now, even with, with big ones. Um, that's not the point of, of the meal time. It's not what you're, it's not that you're having, you know, great family devotions or, or Bible studies, all that is good and well, but that's never been what it's looked like for us. We, I've, I've tried to do devotions during meal time and it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. What is simply the best for us is just talking and and just sharing a meal together and just having that time where we could like look in each other's eyes and we know that everybody is present in that in the home um, and all together. So don't turn it into this beautiful Norman Rockwell painting picture and then fail at that and feel like that's not what I'm getting out. Just there's something sacred about mealtime, even if it's just peanut butter and jelly around the table. Another important thing that when I look back um, that's been important to our children and raising them is the grandparents that are involved in their life. And again, I know that not everybody has living grandparents, not even anybody, not everybody has grandparents that there's a positive relationship there. You could be separated from, from that. So if, if that's not the case with you, I would encourage you to f- adopt some grandparents. There's a lot of um, couples that you can find um, in your churches and in towns, um, that would be that would take your kids in as that grandparent grandchildren role, and I think it's important just to have that generational gap between the parents and the grandparents and the kids. There's something special about that kind of a generational gap um, that is really important. Um, the wisdom and the life lessons that they have to pass on to them is, is things that are it's just priceless. So my kids have always had special traditions that, when I'm th- thinking about nostalgia and, and traditions that I know that they're going to look back on, they have special nostalgia and traditions with their grandparents. Um, my dad, when um, there's, there's not been a Friday night that they've stayed all night that he hasn't fried fish for them. And I know that sounds so simple, but my kids know Friday night with Grandpa John, he's going to be frying fish, and he's going to be frying French fries, and they're going to be coming up and getting their plates. My dad has realized the importance of setting something that's familiar with them and something that's consistent with them, and it gives them that feeling of that's just, that's just what it's going to be like at Grandpa's house. And so he, he doesn't just fry fish because he knows they like it. He's intentional about doing something that's going to last when he's gone. My kids are going to look back and think, 
fish fries with Grandpa John. They're going to remember that. It's usually the fish that they caught at the pond together at some point in the spring. Um, we all have memories like that. We all have, like, maybe a grandma or an aunt or, like, oh, her apple pie. Every time I went over, it was, you know, you, there's something about somebody. You guys could probably just know in your mind someone that you're like, yeah, that's what I know them for. That's what I remember them for. My mom, she collects children's books, and she gets them, like, for a quarter and 50 cents at thrift stores. That's kind of her, her thing. But she's super, super selective, and she picks out the most beautiful children's books with the prettiest illustrations and the prettiest words, and she has always read to my kids way more than I've done. So she will have them up on our lap, and she will read these books because she's patient with them. I get, my, I'm so, my attention doesn't last sometimes to read books to the kids. I've got a million other things to do. So my mom has taken over that role. And I cannot count how many children's books that she's read to my kids throughout the years. Um, and she has a bookshelf when they go to her house. My kids are teenagers, you know, and tweens, and she still will read to them. We read about a, about a summer ago, Trump of the Swan, she would call at 10 o'clock every morning, and we'd put it on speakerphone, and my mom would read. So if you've got grandparents that are way across the, <laughs> the states, you, can, you could still connect with your grandkids um, just by hearing their voice. And so she would read a chapter of Chumper the Swan, and they would all just be sitting there, you know, and kind of some of them would be like, ah, oh, grandma's reading, but they enjoyed it. They enjoyed hearing her read that book to them over the phone. So that's my mom's thing. That's my mom's thing that she does with them. You know, my dad's is completely different. Um, they will remember when she's gone, they will remember her voice and they will remember her reading to them. So the third thing that I think that has been super important with, um, with raising our kids is our church family. And so in addition to our immediate family, my kids think that this is their family. The church family is their family. We, we've raised them from being toddlers all the way up to teenagers together. And so they, when they come together, um, it, it's just like an extension of our family. Um, we had like a 4th of July uh, party at one of our church family, and it was just so neat to just look out and see all of the kids playing together and just knowing that was the picture of the church. So they've carried us in times of trials. We've had miscarriages, and we've had job losses, and we've had bone tumors, and we've had marriage struggles. Um, and the church has carried us. And so I would just encourage you, if you don't feel that in the church family, to seek and pray for a church family that will come into your life where you feel that way. Because that's really what it's supposed to look like. Church is not supposed to look like, I see you on Sunday morning, and the rest of the week, you don't see them again until the next Sunday morning. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Okay, and you, you, you part ways. That's not what the church was supposed to look like and that's that's not what it looks like if you are in a healthy church family so um so that's been super that's been a super part big important part of of raising my kids in a christ-like way and and i'm seeing it even more now as i've got a teenager he's involved in youth group and there is not hardly a week that goes by that he will want to miss youth group um we've got some fantastic college-aged men that are pouring into his life at 14 years old, and that's such a neat thing to see because at some point in their lives, they, you know, they kind of want to drift a little bit away from the instruction of, of the parents somewhat, and they need another, they need another person in their life that they could just call and be accountable to, and then they, they can encourage them. So um, Evan meets with um, 
a young man, and, and they, just, they just share life together. And so it's so important. We have served as a church family. We have welcomed babies. We've served meals together. We've survived vacation Bible school weeks. That's a huge achievement together. <laughs> and youth camps together. Um, just being familiar and doing life with one another. It's so important. Bible studies, small groups, worshiping together. When I am at church and I look across the congregation and I hear all the voices, I'm like, this is just a tiny glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. And it just feels so good uh, to hear Everybody, all my brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping together. And I think church is going to be one of my, fav- my children's favorite childhood memories because so many of our activities revolve around our church family. So family traditions are as simple as everyday rituals. They don't have to be like, when we think of family traditions, we think of sometimes like the big holidays, but they could be just as simple as the activities and the routines of daily life, like a bedtime ritual, an evening walk, a certain meal on certain days of the week, like Pizza Friday or Saturday morning pancakes. Um, We hardly ever do big breakfasts throughout the week because I'm I don't have time, but on Saturday mornings, I'm a little bit more intentional, and I want to make it a little bit more special, so we'll do something like pancakes and blueberries or chocolate chips in them. So it's the simple, everyday things that your family engages in over and over, and it it just lends a certain spirit that will nurture your family connection, and it gives you a sense of belonging, and it helps us to celebrate generations and generations and generations before us and, and in front of us, too. Our kids might take some of our traditions that were fond to them, and it's just going to be a ripple effect into the future, which is super cool. Um, most importantly, the feeling that we get from family and traditions is just the, like, again, a, it's the beautiful reminder of God's design for family and how he invites us to be a part of his family. So some of our favorite traditions, I asked I ask, uh, my boys this, because um, I wanted to hear what they said, of, you know, what, what sticks out in your mind, and it was surprising, some of the things they listed were things I'm like, really? That's, that, you, that, that meant so much to you? Um, the downtown Christmas parade, we usually always go and we have hot cocoa and a thermos, they, one of them said that. Uh, reading favorite books during the holidays each year, we read the same um, <laughs> books almost every holiday, and they don't get tired of it. Papa Murphy's heart-shaped pizza for Valentine's Day, I skipped it last year and because <laughs> I didn't think it mattered to them anymore. And my oldest one was like, uh, are we going to get the Papa Murphy's heart-shaped pizza for Valentine's Day? So they notice these things. They remember them, and they're important to them. Uh, my middle child and I, it's just a thing between he and I, but we always plant bulbs in the fall for spring flowers. And he just that's just our thing. Picking my child, one of my childhood memories is picking spring daffodils on the banks of the country road back home. And so there's just tons and tons of daffodils where I live. And I would pick armfuls of them with my mom. And so now I bring my boys and we pick the same flowers and put them in our home during the springtime. Uh, Strawberry picking to start summer. So some of my mom's mom's friends way when we were little bitty. We started the tradition in Mops of taking all of our kids down to Begs and picking strawberries every spring. And that was kind of, strawberries are ripe in May, so it's kind of like the kickoff of summer. And our 14-year-olds go now (laughs) and pick strawberries with this. There's ice cream involved, so that's kind of their motivation. But we, we kind of were heartbroken this year because of COVID and stuff. We couldn't get to do it. There was a, it was a wet spring. It was like the first time we'd not done the strawberry picking. And so we've got all of these pictures on our Facebook time up of all of these all throughout the years, and we don't have one this year. So it was kind of like, oh, 
we didn't get to do that this year. Making pickles with Jace with our cucumbers. He's my baby. Um, he, that's the thing between he and I. We always make pickles, and, and every year, that's just something that we do together. Riding bikes together on the trail. Um, it usually involves Andy's ice cream afterwards, so it might be a little bit contradictory. But um, a week on the beach for family vacations. Now, that sounds glamorous. You know how family vacations are. But we always go to the same spot. And I've asked him before. I'm like, do you guys want to try something different? Maybe we'll go out west or maybe we'll go up north. And they're like, no. They like the consistency and the familiar vibe of where we've been before. And so it's just I think it's more for them just being familiar at the same place and doing the same things. Making homemade ice cream for our summer holidays. Um, our Grandpa Steve always has the hand crank, and everybody cranks it, and they earn their ice cream on 4th of July. Um, this is one of my favorite traditions. It's our one-on-one -on -one mother and son date night for back-to-school shopping. I've done this pretty much since they've been in school, in grade school. Um, they'll pick a restaurant, so they'll, I usually end up at Buffalo Wild Rings three different times because I do it one-on-one, -on -one and they all pick that. So I'm like, can we pick Olive Garden or somewhere different? But I'm at, I'm at Buffalo Wild Wings, and then we go and get our school supplies, and they pick out one outfit for fall. And so that's just been a sweet date that I hope that we will continue, even maybe when they go off to college. <laughs> Pumpkin patches, we could go buy a $2 pumpkin at Aldi's, but for some reason we feel like we have to drag our kids to the pumpkin patch and spend $50, but it's a memory. It's worth it. <laughs> it's not the same as saving 50 bucks. I don't know. Um, this was funny. Uh, last week, the, I brought the fall candles out, and they were they really enjoy the fall candles like they mentioned I'm like I'm raising three boys but they're like mom I really like those fall candles so it's that smell and that's that memory that they have of like in the fall we're going to get a little bit cozier bonfires we camp a lot and that's one of our favorite family traditions so all of those things I kind of took it seasonally and I was thinking about all the things that kind of just give them a remembrance of the season and the time and the family and it, it just it's year after year after year and what that's doing, the definition of nostalgia, I had to Google it. Because I was like, how do I put that in words? It's, it's a fond memory looking back, and it evokes pleasant thoughts. And that's what we want for our kids when they look back on their childhood. They want that, we want that fond memory, those pleasant thoughts. They'll erase all of that. They won't remember all the, the, the messy stuff maybe as much. What sticks out to them will be this kind of stuff, hopefully, peripherally. Um, but the day-to-day -day traditions, um, every night, I, when I tuck them into bed, and I tuck them all in, in individually, which is it, sometimes it's really hard and it takes a long time, I'll pray over them, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and he give you peace. I, I say that to them each night. They, they can recite it back to me now. I hope that they'll remember that and they'll pray that over their kids when they get older. Um, my youngest son and my husband, every night, this is not, I'm not even kidding, we bought the Andy Griffith complete episode for him for Christmas. My husband, we bought that for my husband for Christmas. Regretfully now, every night they watch an episode, just Jason, just Michael, watch an episode of Andy Griffith, and they've already been through it once, and now they're on round two of it. So, oh, but that's their thing. Jason said, hey, Dad, we're going to watch another episode of Andy? And so it's become a habit with them um, and something that they look forward to. In the mornings, I always start the mornings off usually saying, good morning, go get fresh, go get dressed, and get ready for success. We homeschool, and so that's kind of their prompt to know 
go get your act together, brush your teeth, and let's get ready to get the day started. Um, it's it's going to be something that they're going to remember me saying probably when they grow up. Um, we, I admitted we don't do like the formal family devotions around the table much. I'm just being honest about that. But we do talk about God in our everyday moments. So we talk, there's not a sunset that I won't gasp at and be like, look at the sunset tonight. Like I, I, that's just something that I notice. And I'll tell the kids, look at the sunset. What, what an amazing God. It could be as simple as that. And so, um, we appreciate sunsets and seasons and little things, everyday moments. It talks about that in Deuteronomy. Talk about him when you rise and throughout your day and when you lay down. So it does not have to look, raising Christ like kids can just be as casual and as normal as just telling them about someone that you love. You know, it, it just like if you're going to tell them about someone that you love that they've never met before, you'll, you'll think about the fond things of them and their personalities and what they do. Just talk to, talk to them about God as if you're talking to them about another person that you love, that you love deeply. So we talk about God in the everyday moments. Um, it's many times in my weak moments that I get to talk to them the most about God and ask them to forgive me when I've lost it, and I ask them for grace and forgiveness, just like um, I would be asking grace and forgiveness from anybody else if I've sinned against them. So the gospel is super, super clear and easy to share in those mess-up moments. Uh, There's a book by Paul Tripp. He's a Christian author. It's called Parenting by Paul Tripp, and he says, that's great that we're having these mess up moments because it gives us an opportunity after an opportunity after an opportunity to, to tell them and present to them the gospel. We should look at it as, yes, <laughs> we've got another opportunity. It's, it's hard work and it takes a lot of time. And I understand that we're not always going to be perfect in that. But um, in Proverbs 14.1, it says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. I love that verse. That's how I wanted to kind of end it because you guys are doing some great work for his kingdom, raising kids. You guys are wise women. I pray that you will build your home up with um, your own hands only by the strength that you're going to get if you ask Christ to be in you. Um, Sally Clarkson is another author that I like. Um, she has a book called The Life-Giving Home, and she also has a book called uh, Life-Giving, Life-Giving Parenting. Um, but her quote said, the, this idea of being a home builder has drawn me forward, encouraging me to invest in worthy thoughts and practices. The intentionality of seeking to build my home piece by piece, day by day, has moved me and my family toward the goal of creating a legacy of people who live and grow within its walls. Home should be the very best place ever to be. And the gathering of all of us together, including friends and those who would share our belonging together, should be the place that we feel the most is home. And she goes on to say, and this is my favorite part, when someone once asked me just what it was that my parents did that made me believe in God, without even thinking, I said, I think it was French toast on Sunday mornings, and coffee, and Celtic music, and discussions and candlelights in the evenings. Because in those moments, I tasted and saw the goodness of God in a way that I could not ignore. Mom, I pray that for your families as well. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good in all the little bitty rituals and the big traditions that you guys are planting in your kids' lives. Be blessed as you build homes where the atmosphere and the traditions and the celebrations give life to the hearts, minds, and souls of those inside its walls. Thank you.